Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? Well, that's what we're here to find out. It's almost Christmas, and that means it's time for ghost stories. At least that's what it meant to Charles Dickens. 23 years after publishing A Christmas Carol, Dickens published another ghost story, The Signalman in the 1866 Christmas edition of the literary magazine All the Year Round. It was part of an anthology called Mugby Junction, which featured stories about the rail lines that extend from that junction. The story was adapted by several series, including Columbia Workshop, Lights Out, Hall of Fantasy, Beyond Midnight, and Nightfall. The Weird Circle adapted the story under the name The Thing in the Tunnel. Suspense adapted the story for radio three times. The first adaptation featured Agnes Moorhead and aired March 23, 1953. It returned in November of 1956, featuring Sarah Churchill, and then again in February of 1959, featuring Ellen Drew. We'll be listening to the middle one with Sarah Churchill, who, in addition to being an actress and dancer, was also the daughter of Winston Churchill. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. And its producer, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. We are honored to bring you one of today's most talented actresses, Miss Sarah Churchill, starring in one of yesterday's most chilling tales, The Signalman, by Charles Dickens. More often than not, a classic suffers in transition from one medium to another. The transcribed play you are about to hear is an exception to this generality. The late great writer-director Irving Reese, in his adaptation, has given a dimension to the story that the late great Charles Dickens never imagined. We suggest that you might find it interesting to read the Dickens story after listening to this, the re-stramatization of The Signalman, starring Miss Sarah Churchill, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. like a wounded monster screaming in pain and disappeared into the dark tunnel. In those brief seconds, I'd relived the emotions of my childhood. I still trembled with the child's terror and fascination that had surged through me the many times I stood here 20 years before. Nothing had changed. The steep, dripping wet walls of jagged stone that led down to the track. The gloomy mouth of a tunnel. 
a small signalman's shack huddled against the side of the cutting. Even the job was held by the same man they had told me in the village. He stood there in the glow of an angry sunset, burning a signal flag around a short pole. I called to him. Hello! Below! Instead of looking up at me, he turned tensely to stare toward a red signal light that glowed at the mouth of the tunnel. Hello, below there! He finally turned, slowly it seemed to me, even fearfully, and looked up. He stared at me unanswering. I was afraid the suddenness of my call had unnerved him. I, I tried to compensate by being overly casual. Hello! I would like to speak to you. Is that a path I can use to come down? He stared silently a while longer, then finally pointed his flag to a spot in the cutting embankment. It was a zigzag path with small footholds cut through the clammy stone. A track seemed a mile below, but I was determined to get down. Midway, I, I sensed a vague vibration of earth and air like a sound that could be felt but not heard. I tried to fight down a fear that suddenly gripped me. The air was filled with a violent pulsation. I seemed to have a force that could draw me down. I suddenly threw my hands up to my eyes as though to shut out some terrible sight. And then I flattened myself against the jagged rock and clutched her. And I was angry with myself. Ashamed of this uncontrolled childish reaction. I could see the signalman still staring at me. I climbed down the rest of the way quickly and carelessly, and I walked towards him with a casual smile. He watched me expectantly. Hello. I'm Amy Fair. I used to live in the village. I I was anxious to speak to him. I'm, I'm sorry if I startled you when I called down. Why did you use those words? Those words? I hardly remember. I, I think I shouted, hello, below there, or something to that effect. Not to that effect, miss. Those were the very words. I know them well. Admit those were the words. All right. I admit. Why did you use them? Well, you were below. I wanted to attract your attention, so I called, Hello, below there. Seems logical, doesn't it? Aye, miss. If you had no other reason. Well, what other reason could I possibly have? I thought you would tell me. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have come down. I, I think I've frightened you. Now, why would you think that, miss? Well, you stare at me as, as though you had a dread of me. Sorry, miss. I was doubtful whether I'd seen you before. Well, if you have, it was when I was eight years old, standing on that bridge over the tunnel up there. I used to love watching the train. This is my first visit back in 20 years. You don't believe me. I'm not certain. Where could you have seen me? 
don't you know? Since I've been away for 20 years, I... Oh, there. By the red signal light at the mouth of the tunnel. That's why you turned and stared there when I first called. Aye. Well, what would I be doing up at the signal light? I uh, don't know. I wish I... No, it's a mistake, miss. I haven't been well. Uh, what is it you wish to speak to me about? Well, I'm I'm a writer. I wanted to interview you. Me? Why, miss? Well, my magazine does a weekly biographical piece on interesting people and unusual occupations. It's called Close-Up. Aye, yeah, miss. I've read them. You have? Hmm. You seem surprised. Well, I... The please, perhaps. Well, it wasn't so unsophisticated as oh, I... Oh, I really didn't mean that. Yeah. Well, there's a bit of a fire in my shack. It'd be more comfortable for you there. Won't you come in? Yes, thank you. My, this is a lonely post. Visitors must be rare. I miss. The branch superintendent makes an annual inspection. Yeah, and that's all. Except for... Yes? Uh, come in, please. Oh... How snug and comfortable. Aye. Most of my waking life is spent here. I've tried to make it pleasant. And you've succeeded. You were speaking of visitors. Just as we came in... I'll put this chair nearer the fireplace. One chilled out there. I say. You have a fine collection of books. Aye. They've given me much companionship in the long nights. Pretty weighty companions. Gibbons, Decline and Fall... Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy, Darwin... Did I surprise you again, miss? May I be frank? I'll have to be if I'm to succeed with the article. My editor is only interested in... Odd? Well, the unusual. And the level of my reading seems above the level of my station. Not many people in any station these days... Oh, come now, miss. Would you call for frankness? All right. Why would a man with a mind capable of absorbing these subjects. Stay on a desolate job like this. Well, you see, when I was a young man, I, I became very interested in the natural philosophies. Uh, I set my course, I studied hard, planned the future. And then I... I ran wild, miss. I, I misused my opportunities. I went down, and I've, I've never risen again. Oh, I've, I've no complaint. I've made my bed. It's too late to make another. Maybe you gave up too soon. No, 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 miss. No, no. There, there are forces beyond us that shape us. One must know when not to resist, miss. Oh, I, I might have blooded myself a while longer, but I knew. I, I took this position 34 years ago. And you've never regretted? Oh, no. Not until... It... Until what? Won't you please tell me? You first tell me what brought you here. But I have. Well, you said nothing of what made you think of this place specifically. There are many places and people... Well, I told you. I used to come here as a child. A train. Frightened and fascinated me. I've always remembered it vividly through the years. I promised myself that one day I would come back and do a story on it. Good subjects aren't easy to find to me. Why did you choose just now to come? These ideas germinate in a writer's mind for a while and then an impulse. And you were drawn here. You say that as though mystic forces were involved. It was much simpler, I assure you. I've been working hard, 
I decided that a few days in the country would do me good. I planned to use them profitably by doing a story on you. But you might have come to that decision last month or last year. Well, that's true, but I can't see why you attach such special significance to the fact that I... Why did they frighten you so? Wouldn't you think I might outgrow that silly childish fear? I was drawn here, as you say. I guess it was to see whether I had. The modern psychiatrist would say it was a desire to relive a childhood experience. Aye, miss. There are many answers. Philosophers have even speculated on the possibility that the future can intrude on the memory as well as the past. But surely you don't believe that. I believe only in the evidence of my five senses. May I ask, why did you go to the door? To check the tunnel light. But does it need to be checked so often? You did before we came in. Why are you staring at me so? Was I staring at you? Please, something is preying on your mind. Can't you tell me? The fire needs staring. But avoiding my question. There's nothing here, Miss... Your coming was a mistake. An old man in a railroad tunnel, it, it would require considerable imagination to make an interesting story of that. What exactly are your duties? Oh, uh, their responsibilities more than actual work, miss. Uh, exactness and watchfulness are required most. Uh, seeing that the signals operate, turning the switching handle now and then, listening to the telegraph ticker to see if the post is wanted, uh, not much else. Do the hours weigh heavily through the night? It's very difficult to impart, miss. It's very difficult to speak of. Now, if you ever make another trip, I'll try to tell you. Yes, 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 of course. And I will have to make several trips before the story takes shape. Uh, when may I come again tomorrow? Ah, uh, miss, if you wish. next night as the distant clocks were striking nine. The signalman waited for me at the bottom of the cutting with his white light shining. We walked silently to his shack and the didn't sat down by the fire. I didn't wish to press him, so I said nothing. He stared at the burning embers for a moment and then turned to me. I'm going to tell you, Mrs. Best I can, what troubles me. I'm glad. I mistook you for someone else last night. That troubles me. The mistake? There's someone else. Who is it, then? I don't know. Well, what does it do? Well, this time it stands with its left arm across its face. The right arm is waved violently this way. As, as though to say, for God's sake, clear the way. Clear the way. You've heard those words? Oh, no, I'm not certain not about those specific words, but I have heard it called before. When? Well, one moonlight night about a year ago, I was sitting here when I heard a voice cry, Hello! Hello there! That's why you were startled when I used the word. I'm... Well, I, I ran to the door and I looked out and I saw this... This someone else standing up there by the red light near the tunnel, waving its arms, I just showed you. The voice was hoarse with shouting and it cried, Hello! Below there! Look out! Look out! I caught up my lamp and I ran towards the figure calling, What's wrong? What has happened? Where? 
When I got to the light, it was gone. Did you see where? Well, well, the tunnel was the only place it could go without passing me. Oh, I ran into the tunnel, oh, 100 yards or so, and I searched around with my light. Then I ran back here and I telegraphed both ways. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? And the answer came back both ways. All's well. Of course. Now I'm going to take advantage of last night's permission to be frank. You've been here more than 30 years, haven't you? Uh Huh? It isn't the most cheerful place in the world. With that moaning wind through the tunnel and the wild heart it makes of the telegraph wires. It's understandable that you could have the illusion you've heard a call. And anyone staring at the dark long enough as you did from the door could imagine seeing something. You've let it prey on your mind so long, it seems real. Well, I was not... I was not finished, Miss. I'm sorry. Within six hours after it first appeared, the main line flyer crashed and derailed at the far end of the tunnel. And within ten hours, the dead and the wounded were being brought through the tunnel over to the spot where the figure stood. Coincidence. A tragic, remarkable coincidence. But don't you see that... There is more, Miss. Please, forgive me. Six or seven months passed, and I recovered from the surprise and shock when... One morning, just as daylight was breaking, I looked toward the red light, and I saw it again. Did it cry out? No, it was silent. It didn't wave its arm? No, miss, no. It leaned against the post with both hands covering the eyes like this. I thought to block out some terrible sight. That's why you asked me why I had put my hands to my eyes as I came down the path. I, miss, you called out the words it used the first time, and you covered your eyes as it did the second time. Go on, please. Well, that very day, as the train came out of the tunnel, I, I noticed a confusion of hands and heads at one of the coach platforms. And something waved. I saw it in time to flag down the engineer. He applied his brakes, but the train drifted past here, oh, oh, about 100 yards. As I ran up to it, I heard terrible screams and cries. It, a beautiful young woman had fallen between the cars, and she was brought in here. She died on this very spot between us. How horrible. But I still don't see... One final word, miss, and and, and you'll judge how my mind is troubled. It came back a week ago. And ever since, it's been there. At the light? Aye. It covers its eyes, it it waves its arms, it shouts, For God's sake, clear the way, clear the way! I've no rest or peace for it. It it, it cost me many minutes together in an agonized manner. Below there, look out, look out! It stands waving at me. It, it, it sounds the telegraph ticker. Did it sound the ticker last night while I was here? Twice. I assure you it was your imagination. The ticker did not sound last night. No, I've never made a mistake after that, Miss. I, I don't wonder that you failed to hear it, but I heard it. You hear it now? Try. What is it saying? It isn't clear. I can help you, but you must face realistically what I have to say. Will you try? I. I... I'll try, Miss. These accidents have shaken you deeply. You feel guilt about them, even though there was nothing you could do. You let it prey on your mind until you imagine someone tried to warn you. I saw and heard that someone... Even the senses can deceive when the mind is under stress. Men dying of thirst on the desert imagine lakes and hear running streams. Oh, Miss, the bodies of the dead were real enough. I'm speaking of what you imagined after the accident. 
If you let me, I'll prove to you, step by step, that the specter existed only in your fantasy. Oh, how can you prove that in the face of what I've just told you? By appealing to the intelligent, reasoning portion of your mind. Listen, you were positive when you first saw me that I was the specter that you saw at the light, weren't you? You used the same words. Well, now listen carefully. I appeal to the intelligent, well-read, reasonable man. Three words. Hello below there. I was more than a hundred feet away at the top of the embankment, and you were here below with darkness falling. And three words made you positive you had seen me before. Can't you see you were trying to fit something to what you already believe? But then you put your hands to your eyes. Where the proof? You have allowed yourself to believe some disaster is about to befall. When I covered my eyes because of a childish fear, you fitted that to what you already believed. Oh, no, the telegraph took a You must hear me out. Would you at any other time, or would anyone at any time, believe that a telegraph ticker could sound in a room this small and be heard by one person and not the other? But I told you. Now, the most important proof. You said that when you went to the door last night, it was there by the red danger light. Aye, it was. Will you come to the door with me now and tell me if it is still there? Well, do you see it? No. No, miss. It's not there. And I'm going to prove to you that it never was there. I studied the light from the top of the hill before I came down tonight. The post is at least seven feet high. The light is shielded with a hood. Even if a person stood directly under it or in front of it, they would be in complete shadow, in darkness. You couldn't see that person from this door, and you couldn't see that person if you walked within a few yards of her or him or it. I'm going to walk up the incline now to the light and prove it to you. I walked up the inclining tracks towards the red light at the mouth of the tunnel. Chill, dank wind had an edge like a cold knife. When I got to the light post, I stood directly under it. No portion of the red glow reached me. I was lost, completely in the dark. I saw the sickle man silhouetted in the yellow light of the doorway. Hello? Can you see me? Hello below there? Can you see me? No. Good. Now start walking toward me and tell me when you can see me. He stepped between the rails of the northbound track on a line with the red signal light and walked toward me. Suddenly, the icy hand of my childhood dread gripped me. There was a vague vibration of the earth and air. Far behind him, coming up the grade fast, I could begin to see the glow of the locomotive's light. Look out! Look out! For God's sake, clear the way! Clear the way! He walked as though in a spell. He didn't hear me. Oh, he wouldn't hear me. I was rooted to the gravel. I threw my left arm up to my eyes and waved my right arm frantically. After it was over, they found me, still standing there, both of my hands up to my eyes, to shut out 
the terrible sight. starred in Irving Reese's adaptation of Charles Dickens' story, The Signalman. That was The Signalman from Suspense, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. All right. This was in our uh, month of trying to do holiday, Christmassy themed radio shows for uh, the podcast. Tim's Choice. And Tim, the Christmas connection is the fact that it was originally published in a Christmassy Time magazine. Yes, and that it is Charles Dickens' other ghost story. Right. Aside from a Christmas Carol. That's weak. Here's the, my ghost story of how I came to have this as my episode. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we did Joshua's pick, which was The Shadow. Uh, and he mentioned that he'd been listening to a lot of episodes and found a lot of them. For reasons, if you want to know, you can go back and listen to that episode, but didn't bite on them. And so he had mentioned that to me before. And so with each Christmas episode I hear, I can imagine Joshua over my shoulder. <laughs> so I listened to that one and thought, nah. <laughs> yep. And, and so I, start, I went like really far afield. Like I'm looking for any genre old person romance. I don't know if that is a genre of radio. <laughs> it is. Old okay. person no, romance. It's a genre of our life. But. Yes. <laughs> Come uh, here and pull my finger. <laughs> <laughs> Until I eventually like, okay, this sort of far afield ghost story that doesn't really have anything Christmas in it. Maybe Joshua didn't listen to that one <laughs> and already decide, nah. So you're doing these podcasts now to impress Joshua. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, <laughs> just to avoid disdain. Yeah. Right. Not even impress. <laughs> to not have him go, well, this is an adaptation of what was a childhood glorious memory of mine that they ruined. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. So I send out, like, guys, I've picked up a oh, Christmas no, episode. I know. Yes, you know. And then Josh is like, which version of the suspense do you mean? Like, what? There's more than one? Come on! Yeah. Just when you thought, I got it, he writes back and goes, yeah, um, <laughs> there's actually three versions of that, and which one are we doing? Yeah, like, oh, my God. How do you know that? You know, And I love doing this podcast because you guys are sending me stuff, and I've listened to a lot of old-time radio. I think there's three in our 64 episodes of What Have We Done. I think there's been three that I've ever heard before. Wow. Josh was like, I think there are three he's never heard before. <laughs> right? No, that's an exaggeration. Not by much. However, I'm glad to get inside Tim's head. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. If this was a sport event, oh, you would have him. I am psyched out. You are psyched out. Uh, the beginning of this story also frightened me with my ghost of Joshua, because not only do I have Joshua telling me, you <laughs> yes. really should read these stories. <laughs> This thing starts with some guy telling me, you really should read <laughs> the original story. I'm the like, suspense shut up. guy said, Eric, right. when this is over, go back and read this story. Like, shut up, Joshua. Why are you in suspense? <laughs> I don't want to read. It's the whole reason I got into old-time radio. It's why I listen to books on tape in college in my literature courses. 
I don't like to read. It hurts my eyes. I swear to God that's true. It <laughs> hurts my eyes. I will say the signalman is one of my favorite Dickens stories. So good job, Tim. <laughs> and again, I'd never heard of it. But what's beautiful about that is now you get to hear someone who's heard it for the first time. And I really loved it a lot. The story is, wow, it's fabulous. But we'll get into that later. Uh, I was also going to say, now that I know there are like 11 versions of this yeah. out there, every year for Christmas, we're getting the Signalman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. We'll do them all. Uh, December Signalman month. <laughs> signalman is starting to become not a word. I know. I'm trying, is it signalman <laughs> makes it sound like a super or the, the Batman villain, to be specific. But, wow. Um, or a Signalman the lawyer. I'm not sure which, right. which way we're going with it. Uh, Mr. Signalman. <laughs> Before the episode, real quick, since you are so familiar with the short story, or was it a short story or novel, mm-hmm. a short story short by story. Dickens, how does it, as adaptations, go fair? I, I think, think this is a very solid adaptation. They make some very intentional changes and really intriguing to cast a woman as the lead narrator, which oh, obviously... that's Dickens, not a thing in the original, no, huh? No, it's Victorian times. A woman wouldn't be walking around near a railroad track. Talking. Or, yeah, talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I think it's interesting for 1950s to choose the female character because it's essential to both the original story and the adaptation that the narrator character is educated, professional, mm-hmm. to contrast to the signalman. So it's right. interesting for 1950-something to then say, oh, then we're going to make this a professional woman. And there are very few old radio shows from this era where they Correct. are the protagonists and they aren't the victims. I mean, in some ways in this story, she is a victim, but it's more complicated than that. Yeah, I was thinking about how much fun this would be to do one of our recreations, our mm-hmm. live on-stage recreation. Unfortunately, it's a two-person show but it still uh, would be a well, lot of fun to do for as good as our live train is um the the train foley in this episode in particular is so powerful. yeah by this yeah. time it's a recording it's recording yes. let me ruin it for you uh they got to the point where they were playing albums mm. of uh, sound effects and queuing them up in queue on headphones and then hitting them yeah. so a lot scratching of scratching the, the record yeah there's a you know what? That was only funny visually. See me doing that. Uh, there was an episode a few weeks ago of the, the clock. Yeah, Helping Hands. Yeah. And I had a moment where I went, wow, that car foley is awesome. Right. It's just a <laughs> recording of a car. But yeah, the train we do live is still one of my favorite things <laughs> that we've ever come up with. You have to come see it, everybody, to figure that out. Uh, I will say this about the Foley, though, as long as we're on that. The conversation, especially at the beginning when she first meets him, the wind blowing through the tunnel in the background, it it creates an atmosphere and and a mood in that scene that is just beautiful in its creepiness. And there's a great choice of wind to place the sound Mm -hmm. in the second half when the signalman is telling her about his various sightings of these strange figures, they get interrupted at the height of like the tension of describing this by a train and they have yes. to wait for the train to pass, to pick up their conversation and or scream just, through it. Yeah. They raise their voice a little, but then they, yeah, yeah, basically yeah. they stop and yep. then they pick right up just like you would, if you were just used yeah. to Beautiful. working around trains, it's a great direction and performance. And when you hear the train starting, it's that squeaky, really far off, whistle type thing and it picks up and you can actually see it in your brain coming from a mile away it's really well done that way and that wind 
creates that atmosphere, especially at the beginning. He talks about, you know, he doesn't get to see a lot of people. And he's been there for 30 years. And there's a loneliness to the signalman that is captured by the foley of that wind howling and nothing else. And there is one of those neat moments where they are very true to the original with sound. That there's other ways besides adapting or pulling exact lines from a short story to be true to it. And that mm-hmm. sort of feeling of isolation and loneliness is mm-hmm. straight from the atmosphere of the short story. I love that. One thing that's interesting in this adaptation and the choice of making the narrator the protagonist, really, in the story. Whereas in the original short story, the narrator is just observing the story of the signalman. And here we start right away uh, with the woman's story. She describes in a really violent way the train rushing past her, that it's mashed by like a wounded monster screaming in pain and talks about her childhood. She's returning to this place that scared her 20 years ago when she was a kid. None of that's in the short story. No, no. Mm -hmm. The short story is just a Victorian gentleman walking by the train and his curiosity gets piqued looking down at the little uh, signalman shack. And there's not a lot of exposition as to exactly who he is. And so it's more about the signalman's story. Sure. And so it's very intriguing how he creates this sort of closed loop. The short story ending's a lot more vague, where here we come full circle, and it's about her childhood trauma. They even add the line of the signalman says, well, some philosophers say that fear can be a memory from the future. Mm-hmm. And so they suggest this idea that her childhood fear is this looking forward to this exact moment when she watches this signalman die by the train. Right. The alterations are really elegant and interesting and for an intentional purpose and so i like them actually the narrator from the original short story the mugby junction collection there was a framing story at the top of those yes that was this guy who wanders around the rail lines and right sees stuff help me out here again this is that moment of the podcast where i admit my stupidity we should get a little theme song for this uh, part <laughs> and here's eric being stupid yeah <laughs> I didn't need that. (laughs) I wanted to help you out with the stupid. I shouldn't shoulder all of it, Eric. (laughs) There's a a thing going on here that I think is left up to you to try to figure out, and I want to know if that's true or if it's specific. She had a tragic event happen to her that had not happened yet. She was traumatized by something that was going to happen to her in the future? That's just the the interpretation I took from the vagaries. So that's you. I think intentionally vague how about him is he seeing this woman warning him over and over and over again that's coming from the future to warn him that is a very viable explanation i think it's too ambiguous to be definitely yeah there's no definite okay thank you that's what i was really asking is this an ambiguous ending to this where you have to try to figure that out or is there something very specific that i'm missing and it sounds like I don't know. It's really weird, right? Mm-hmm. What was he seeing before? Glimpses of the future? I think if I had to pick an explanation, that's the one I'd go with. Yeah. And in this adaptation, as opposed to the original short story, which is actually more vague, but I think you're supposed to get that it's ghosts or it's something possibly supernatural. Whereas here, because it's the 1950s, and this is when like psychiatry and modern psychoanalysis was becoming part of pop culture, and I think the writer 
adds a layer of that to this. She even mentions, well, modern psychiatrists would say that I'm drawn here by my, you know, childhood fear of this and anxieties and things. And so I think this might all be in everyone's head that there's some sort of neurosis and it becomes self-fulfilling. Right. She made it happen because of the anxiety taking control of her. He's seeing is that he witnessed these tragic, horrible things and then starts taking things he sees after that and putting them in his memory to create in his own mind this idea that he had been warned he could have done something. You know, we've talked in the past, I don't like ambiguous. Just tell me what the story is. You know, it sounds like you got lazy and didn't write something. This is one of those cases where that did not have that effect on me. I loved having to think about what just happened and what is this and what did they see and what were they seeing and what what is this all about? It didn't bug me like it usually would where I'm like, oh, thanks. Now I have to write your story for you? Because I think in this story, that's where the suspense comes Mm -hmm. from. That's where your anxiety as a listener is that you can almost wrap your mind around it just like the people in the story but you can't quite be sure. And so that anxiety is what you're feeling as a listener, and so are the characters in the story. Mm-hmm. I love the setup in this of what is happening. And then when it gets told to us, oh, that's why you were wondering why I was calling down there. And oh, yeah. that's why you were looking over there. And that's why I like that it wasn't explained right away. And I had to sit and go, what is going on for so long? And of course, it's called suspense, and it created suspense. Uh, and I liked the reveal of what was going on and the weirdness of it. Yeah, it, it was interesting because as much as the adapter tried to make more of a through line with the protagonist, with the female writer character, he was not afraid of using the intricate parts of the story. I mean, there are lots of details, and you have to listen to this very carefully as all the little clues are parsed out throughout the story. He didn't try to dumb it down, which I appreciated. What I really liked about it is how, as a Christmas story, it filled me with the Christmas spirit (laughs) and the feel-good ending. But because of A Christmas Carol and Charles Dickens, at least in the UK, ghost stories are a traditional part of Christmas. There are ghost story Christmas specials where they adapt all these Victorian ghost stories. This was one of those in 1976. Yeah. On TV? Yeah. Can I watch this? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've looked for these, and right now they're not available on like whatever our region DVDs are. That's true. Everything's on the internet. Try it. (laughs) I'm looking for it. (laughs) You go to jail. (laughs) Get me a copy, man. Uh. Well, any Uh, other thoughts on this? My favorite, favorite thing about this story, and there's many things to, to like about this, was just the character that they portrayed this character who had been living alone in this shack mm-hmm. for 30 years mm-hmm. and that this reporter suddenly discovers like you've been reading all these books you're this fantastically intelligent person you're there's this whole world inside this little shack and makes it really sad when he gets run over by a train because yeah. he thought this was his duty he mentions that he tried to be an academic or pursued some of these i um, love that moment all the books he squandered some of the moments but it seems like he's now committed to this as an important Thing and a responsibility. But he also phrases, and I, ju- I just have to go along with the way things are. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, it's when there's a, nice... a train, and it's like, he's not listening, he won't move. It's sad. Merry yeah, Christmas! Because he says, there are forces beyond us that shape us, and you must know when not to resist. So yeah, that is a little dreary. <laughs> <laughs> but well, mostly I just want to know that you did not listen to this one and dismiss it before I brought it. No. <laughs> no. 
recall. I had when? no idea there were this many adaptations of this short story that I absolutely adore. So I am going to start listening to all these. Right on. Good job, Tim. I feel vindicated. Nice. Well, let's vote, Mr. Yuren. What do you think? I would call this a classic. It's a little understated, but uh, beautifully done, I feel. Joshua? I would say it's a classic based on a classic, so you can't really lose. Listen to it and read the story. I would say that it's a a really, really good Christmas story. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, as I'm listening to it, about three-fourths of the way through, I went, There's no Christmas. (laughs) Where's Santa? (laughs) Where are the presents? Um, It's beautifully done. Really well written. Suspenseful and creepy and terrifying and sad and forlorn. There's so much about this that I love. And I can't wait to hear the others myself now. Um, I will not be reading the original. I don't want to ruin it. I'm going to show up at your door and read you the signalman. Yes. Yes. You can even come in. <laughs> no, I'm going to stand outside. <laughs> like his like like nerdy, nerdy caroling where I just read you short stories. <laughs> that would be great for Christmas. Go around door to door reading short stories. As long as it's not The Hobbit. <laughs> people slamming the door in my face. I'm reading through the mail slot. <laughs> just 20 more minutes. <laughs> Uh, well, I say it's a classic. Stands test of time. Well done. Thank you for listening, everybody. Tim, thanks for bringing that in. Uh, what do we need to know, Tim? Uh, hey, what you need to know is at ghoulishdelights.com. That's where you will find other episodes of this podcast. We have many, and they're awesome. You will also find information about our live shows, including, if you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, we'll be at the Bryant Lake Bowl this New Year's Eve, ringing in 1948. Yeah, come dressed in your finest attire, and we're going to do some... Classic old-time radio stuff. Yeah, we're still figuring it out, but it's going to be good. (laughs) In about a half an hour, we're going to write it. (laughs) So while we're writing our show, why don't you write a review? Make it a Christmas review that has nothing to do with Christmas. (laughs) Also, sad news, we will be taking a two-week break to do things like write said show and spend time with our families. But we'll be back in January-ish. Yep. Early January. Early January. We'll just take a couple weeks off, which is a good time for you to listen to all the other episodes of uh, The Signalman. (laughs) (laughs) That'll tide you over. Yeah, right. Um, But when we come back, I've got the story. Yeah, what is it? It's going to be If You Believe, suggested to us by a listener named D from The Mysterious Traveler. So until then... Look out! I could begin to see the glow of the locomotive's light. Look out! Look out! For God's sake, clear the way! Clear the way! He walked as though in a spell. He didn't hear me. Oh, he wouldn't hear me. I was rooted to the gravel. I threw my left arm up to my eyes and waved my right arm frantically. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas!